last episode that we just did was so fun. The bank oh, yeah, episode. I had, I had, uh, I, I was really like tapping into my mind that there were so many extras too that we had just posted on the social media. I thought, I thought they were really, really nice. Some of the ones that we created, and I didn't realize how vast the Banksy space is in Mid Journey. Um, yeah. but, but just, <clears throat> did you did you get a look at any of that? Yes, I did. Um, after that episode, I was like, yeah, I need to go check that out. And I was thinking about it, like he's one of the only few modern artists we've had. Like every generation kind of has their their artists, like Warhol or Dolly or something. And I was thinking about that, and thinks he's one of the few we've got by name or you know, well known name. Yeah, and no one knows what he looks like. That's oh. the the beautiful part about it all. Other art's full perspective of it. Yeah, you can use your imagination on what the dude looks like. Yeah, man. So what's going on? How you how you feeling this week? Doing pretty good. Getting the sleep schedule the way it's supposed to be. Feeling good when I wake up. Good, good. We had a very productive day on Monday. Yeah. Uh, we had a very productive day. We talked about a lot of things. Um did we go did we go down the next few episodes that we were gonna do? Did we talk about that? I don't remember. Um uh, well we did a <clears throat> at the meeting at our Monday meeting. Um we talked about a few. I don't know if we actually brought it up uh on the actual podcast. Yeah. If you I, want to, we could set some people up to for well, yeah, let's talk about it. Well, today we're schedule up. Yeah, like today we're doing uh, short stories. Uh, short stories that we grew up with. Um, next week we're doing VHS. Um, after that, we are doing photorealistic faces. Episode twenty nine. I'm actually personally excited for it. It is books and literature. And number thirty. You want to tell them? Is that the uh, LF? Yep, good old. All right. Good old Lisa. So Frank. Uh, I should bring it up. But I have a boss that loves Lisa Frank, and she's been doing a lot of painting at work of Lisa Frank inspired art. So I was like, yeah. maybe we should do an episode on Lisa Frank. And all I've heard is, yes, we need to do an episode on Lisa Frank. So. My yes. wife, my wife and daughter love Lisa Frank. It, it, you know, and then you know we're 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 all well. You're. I grew up in it, slightly, not knowing slightly she did, older. She you're slightly older than me, so you know you had a little more um, eyes on Lisa more, Frank than um, I have. Yeah, hands on the trapper keepers. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I have one. <laughs> I have one with a bunch of pogs in in the living room here, <laughs> and it's actually really it's actually really cool um, to to kind of dive into that retroness that that we grew up yeah. with. Um, in other news, we now have a merch shop. If you want to go to the merch shop, you could go to www.linktree.com slash the artificial mind podcast on there. You can find the cut. There's, um, one t-shirt, uh, a unisex shirt, a unisex hoodie, a, canvas painting a mug and uh and, a, get that and mug. a notebook um 
there's some really nice stuff in there, guys. We have, you know, if you guys didn't see in our social media, um, we've brought um, Tammy to life. Uh, Tammy, you know, we're working on we're, we're working on making her a little more interactive and immersive. Trying. We're going to see how, how that goes. But if you guys haven't met Tammy, make sure you go meet Tammy now on Instagram. But there are T-shirts available uh, and a hoodie. A premium unisex hoodie and a unisex tri-blend short sleeve shirt with her face on it uh, for sale right now. Again, you can check out our store at linktree.com slash the artificial mind podcast. You, you got anything uh, you want to say before we start? Um, <coughs> excuse me. Other than coughing into the microphone. Um. <laughs> I, I definitely would uh, suggest you guys check out our store because there's stuff on there that, that even I want to get. So, And yeah. I probably would have gotten last night had it not been for the fact that I've forgotten my credit card number. <laughs> so one more day, I have money in my account. Mm-hmm. But after that, definitely check it out. <clears throat> so what stories did you choose? Um, so, and were there any particular reason why you chose them? Uh, basically I chose all these ones cause I was familiar with them. If I had not read them, I've heard enough of that over time to where I feel like I'm f- still familiar with them. <clears throat> cause a lot of these, uh, a lot of short stories usually aren't just one. They'll have like a few Act into one, yeah. Like uh, Asim- Isaac Asimov, for instance, does that. Uh, who else does that kind of thing? Um, a lot of people do. Yeah, but uh, I chose uh, the Metamorphosis by Franz Kafka. Uh, we can remember it for you wholesale by Philip K. Dick, uh, otherwise PKD for short. Uh, the Dubliners, which is a James Joyce short story. And Robot Dreams by Isaac Asimov. Nice. I what you got? So the ones that I chose, I chose uh, Three Ten to Yuma. I have my list right here. Hang on, because mm-hmm. I have it in like two different places here for some odd reason. <laughs> That's what I had to do. I had to bring mine up. I was like, oh, I had it ready. And then I... Um, I did three. I did Three Ten to Yuma by Leonard by El- Elmore Leonard. The Birds by Daphne du Maurier. Um, the Gift of the Magi. I'm um, actually interested to hear about that yeah, one. That by, sounds interesting. By O. Henry. Mm. And by Isaac Asimov himself, I chose The Last Question, which was a super super eerie um retro futuristic story that was very really tapped into my mind right there um really interesting <coughs> stuff um but yeah let's i mean let's get into it i really i think it's interesting that we both like you were saying before the show that we both found out we're doing isaac asimov and we're yeah. doing him towards the end there so i think there's going to be some interesting overlaying of isaac asimov stories going on there for a second but we'll get to that at the end yeah yeah and actually those are our main events so stay tuned for that yep. one uh, let's let's go on with it the first one we have is 
Dubliners. Yes, sir. Going off with mine first. Alrighty, let's see here. So my good old friend ChatGPT kind of helped me out a little bit here. I'll just kind of give you the rundown uh, of what it gave me. <clears throat> the Dubliners is a collection of short stories by James Joyce published in 1914. Over 100 years now, God. Uh, the stories are set in Dublin, Ireland, and explore the lives of its inhabitants, particularly those from the middle and working classes. The collection consists of 15 stories, each depicting a different aspect of life in Dublin. Many of the stories focus on characters who are trapped in unfulfilling lives, often due to poverty, societal pressures, or personal shortcomings. Uh, some of the most well-known stories in the collection include The Sisters, uh, which follows a young boy's reflections on the death of his mentor, Araby which portrays a young boy's uh, infatuation with a girl and his disillusionment with his surroundings, and The Dead, which explores the themes of love, loss, and mortality at a Christmas party. Oh, that sounds great. <laughs> uh, overall, The Dubliners is a poignant and introspective collection of stories that captures the mood and character of Dublin at the turn of the 20th century. It portrays the struggles and hardships faced by ordinary people, it offers a glimpse in the complex and multifaceted nature of human experience. And we were talking earlier about, like, uh, have you read most of these? And uh, I tried to read James Joyce in the past. I don't know if it was the Dubliners. There was another, uh, I think it was Ulysses. I tried to read that. Interesting. That's a very, very uh, attention wanting book and i couldn't give it at that so yeah i always wanted to good choice i like the i like that it has the, this book cover feel to it it seemed so, to capture um, the time period too yep yep and the the art's really nice you get like this this um i love the colors too the colors are very yeah. uh maybe i want to say like uh, they're, they're stoic colors very you know you got your like browns, the new yorker from the 1920s yeah you know you have like magazine, these like yeah. these dark browns and dark clay like colors in it it, it really it really helps build the ambiance of it of mm -hmm. what you're of what you're trying to portray here what you got Ooh, ah cool the birds um it's funny the reason why I chose this one because I have a phobia for birds. They are my nightmare. They are my weakness. They are my kryptonite. I I was was attacked by birds when I was a child, so huh. it's it's led me to really have a strong dislike for winged just birds. Feathered. Though, oh, I was gonna ask for all winged creatures or just birds. Just winged feathered animals okay. you know if we're so talking like about if we're, talk if we're talking about pterodactyls you know sign you know sign me up i'm here you know uh but <laughs> birds i am not um i'm not a fan of birds uh, they scare the living hell out of me get away from me blue jay <clears throat> yeah uh but yeah i chose a story called the birds and i was actually torn between this one the birds and another one called birds um mm. You know, which are completely two different stories, but the other one had a deeper meaning. But I wanted to do something that felt a little more personal to me, especially me, me wanting to dive into the, dive into my issues with my disdain for that species of animal. 
Question: Was this made into a movie by Alfred Hitchcock? This, this specific one, yes. This one was made this into is. it. Okay. <clears throat> okay. Um, but the word "The Birds" is a short story written by Daphne de Maurier, first published mm-hmm. in her 1952 collection "The Apple Tree." Uh, the story is set in a small coastal town in England and follows a farmhand named Nat Nat Hawken and his family during a sudden and unexplained bird attack. At first, the birds seem to be behaving oddly, harmless. However, their behavior quickly escalated into a violent and deadly attack as the birds begin to swarm and attack people with beaks and talons. Um, Nat and his family, along with other townspeople, are forced to take shelter and fight for their survival against the relentless bird onslaught. As the story progresses, as the story progresses, it becomes clear that the bird attack is not limited to just one town or region, but it is happening on a global scale. And the cause of the attack is never fully explained, leaving the reader to speculate on its origin and meaning. But it is often regarded as a classic example of the horror and suspense genre and was adapted into several films and television productions, including the famous 1963 film by Alfred Hitchcock. All right. I got ahead of the ball, but yeah. Cool. Uh, I just very... started getting into Alfred Hitchcock movies again. Yeah, I mean, this this is I I, lo- I wanted to do something different too. I didn't want to do my regular photorealistic renders. Mm-hmm. I wanted to do more paintings, um, something a little more uh, traditional in hand styled art. Ah, the Metamorphosis. <clears throat> This one I read back in the day when I was into like the beat poets, like William S. Burroughs. I think I read him first, and then was, someone was like, uh, "Well, if you like him, you got to go back to Franz Kafka because that's where Burroughs kind of got his ideas for stuff." Yeah. Uh, frenzy, frenzy, frenzy. Where's your definition? Uh, the Metamorphosis is a surreal and disturbing short story ri- written by Franz Kafka. The story follows Gregor Sam, a traveling salesman who wakes up one morning to find that he has transformed into a giant insect-like creature. The story explores themes of isolation, alienation, and absurdity of human existence. As the story progresses, Gregor tries to come to terms with his transformation and adjust to his new body. However, he is unable to communicate with his family, who are repulsed by his appearance and begin to treat him as a bird. Gregor becomes increasingly isolated and detached from his former life, as his family becomes more and more distant from him. Ultimately, Gregor dies alone. Spoiler alert! Gregor dies alone <laughs> in his room, and his family is left to reconcile with the loss of their son and brother. The story ends with a sense of ambiguity, leaving the reader to ponder the meaning of Gregor's transformation and its implications for the human condition. Overall, The Metamorphosis is a haunting and thought-provoking work of fiction, continues to resonate with readers today and highlights the fragility of human identity and the impact of societal norms on individual freedom, making it a timeless classic in the realm of literature. You definitely tell I did not write that. <laughs> that's that's great. That's great, though. A very interesting story dives into the sci-fi, sci-fi realm of things and, mm. you know, kind of reminds me of, you know, um, The Fly. Yep. You know a little bit of that. I also um, there used to be the show called Heroes on NBC. Oh yeah, 
and there was a so character name. Yep, there was a character named uh, Mohinder Suresh, and he okay. kind of meta metamorphosized into a fly-like creature. Really? Similar to the fly, which is huh. one of my favorite movies. If you like that, uh, David Cronenberg, Naked Lunch. That was inspired by William S. Burroughs, who was inspired by Franz yeah. Kafka. You want to talk about an insecty movie? That'll, yeah. Be in the right mood. Watch that late at night. Yeah. But not Joe's apartment, right? Nope. <laughs> not like that. Nope. More spaced out, uh, drug-influenced, uh, early 1920s. Naked Lunch. Hard to find, but it's out there. Mm. The David Cronenberg movie. And he does some, if you know David Cronenberg style, then you already kinda got an idea of what it could be like. Yeah. So wiggly so, parts and stuff. So this one I got here is three ten to Yuma. Ah, oh, sweet. There have been like, many I need to read this. There are many different like uh renditions of this story. Mm-hmm. Um, I have here in my notes here. Give me a second. I thought I just had it. Ah, here we go. Um, originally, 310 to Yuma was originally a short story written by Elmore Leonard, first published in Dime Western magazine in 1953. Uh, the story here was adapted into two movie versions and the story follows a rancher named Dan Evans who agrees to help escort a notorious outlaw named Ben Wade to the town of Contention, where he will board the 310 train to Yuma prison. The task is dangerous, and Evans is motivated primarily by the money he will receive for his services. As they make their way through the dangerous landscape, Evans and Wade engage in a battle of wills and wits, with Wade using his charm and cunning to try to sway Evans to his side. The tension builds as the gang of outlaws, led by Wade's second-in-command, Charlie Prince, they get closer. Uh, but the short story is known for its tight, fast-paced narrative and its sharply drawn characters. It is a masterful example of the Western genre with a depiction on harsh realities of life in the Old West and ex exploration themes such as morality, honor, and redemption. Three Tenths of Yuma is a classic in the Western genre in both its short story and film adaptation and continues to be beloved through American literature. This specific scene here... <clears throat> um, what I wanted here I wanted so I watched the movie this morning and mm -hmm. you know I was really intrigued by when like the gang came in they're you know they're coming in the surrounding and all this stuff and then there's a conversation going on between um, Dan Evans and Ben Wade and was this I the newer version or the the original version? I, I was watching the the Christian Bale and Russell Crowe version. Okay, yeah. And there, you know, there, in the scene, what I wanted, I wanted the scene right here to signify the scene when Wade tells him, you know, you can let me go, I'll let you walk away from all this, and you know, Dan Evans is like, no, you know, like. And, and later you find out in the movie, spoiler alert, is that Dan Evans was ne never saw himself as a hero. Mm -hmm. And that makes a big plot change into the story and what happens thereafter, which is very, very interesting. Um, but what I wanted here, I wanted a, a tense moment between Dan and Ben as they sit across from each other in a dimly lit 
hotel room where the gang is surrounding them but the room is sparsely furnished one single table two chairs and the walls are stained with peeling obviously in the scene itself there were other things going on but i just wanted these two in here in the foreground we see, between them yeah, yeah um it's actually funny because dan evans does look a little bit like christian bale here uh, he's sitting upright in his chair with his hands resting on the table with the front of him and an expression of serious and determined and that like he's staring at wade um but in the background we see wade sitting back in his chair a sly grin on his face holding a cigar you know i wanted a depiction of him holding a cigar and leaning casually back in his chair as if he has all the time in the world um, but it's framed by shadows casted by dim light with details of the room obscured and the focus entirely on the two of them. Uh, the drawing captures the intensity of the moment with the tension between Evans and Wade palpable in the air. But I wanted like I wanted to be this scene to show like will Evans to be able to hold his ground and resist the temptation of the money, you know, um, but will Wade charm and persuade his way out in the end it's up to you to mm. imagine that you know so watch the movie read the book i'm surprised it came out in the 1950s i thought it would have been older than that as far as being written yeah what westerns are westerns are great stories i'm really into them. And that's when they were big when they first started coming out was the 50s because mm -hmm. the movies were all about westerns and stuff yep um, next. Cool beans. I'll watch that again. Speaking of movies adapted from short stories, uh, I would think most of everybody knows what this one is uh, <clears throat> under a different story title. <clears throat> but the original short story was written by Philip K. Dick, and it was called We Can Remember It For You Wholesale, which uh, in the movies it was called Total Recall with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, this was published back in 1966. Uh, the story is set in a future where technology has advanced to the point where memories can be implanted in people's minds. The story follows the protagonist Douglas Quayle, a clerk who is dissatisfied with his mundane life and memories of traveling to Mars. Visits a company called Recall Incorporated, which specializes in planting false memories. Quail decides to have memories of the trip to Mars implanted, but as the procedure is about to begin, the technicians discover that he already has memories of a previous trip to Mars, which he doesn't remember. Technicians begin to suspect that Quail is actually a secret agent and that his real memories have been suppressed. Ooh. They trigger his suppressed memories, and Quail remembers that he is actually a secret agent named Hauser, sent to Mars to infiltrate a resistance movement. movement. <clears throat> The company, however, is unable to wipe Quail's new memories, and he becomes caught between his old identity as a clerk and his new identity as a secret agent. As the story progresses, Quail slash Hauser becomes embroiled in a dangerous game of deception and betrayal with his own life and the fate of the resistance making at stake, or movement at stake. The story ends with a twist that calls into question the true nature of Quail's memories and identity. We can remember it for you wholesale explains explores themes of memory identity and real uh, reality and raises questions about the nature of consciousness and the human mind in a world where technology has advanced to the point of being able to manipulate memories mm. i remember this is i've read this short story and i really i, I pretty much anything philip Kredick ever wrote 
I love. But uh, I wanted to create a scene, uh, kind of a classic scene of where he, uh, Douglas Quaid's sitting in a chair getting ready to have his mind altered to go to Mars. I love it. So this and I actually had you picture it, uh, pick it up because I had two pictures. I couldn't yeah, pick I like one. this. This looks like an actual... Like if screen, if books had screenshots, mm. this would be it. Screenshots. Oh, back in the day, they used to have illustrations. That's not yeah. a bad idea. Yeah, give them an idea. Hmm. Um, my next one is the gift of the Magi. Yeah, I want to hear about this one. Uh, are you familiar with this story? No. Well, yes, yes. I've heard about it, and I've never actually heard like an explanation. I've heard the name, the title. It is one of the oldest stories ever. Yeah. Um, but it's a it's a story about a married couple named Della and Jim. Um, on the snowy Christmas Eve set in the bustling city of New York, Della, who is down to only one dollar and eighty seven cents. She desperately searches for a gift for her beloved husband, but she stumbles upon a quaint antique shop and trades her long, beautiful hair for enough money to buy Jim a platinum watch chain. But as Jim returns home from a long day of work, Della confesses to her sacrifice. In return, Jim surprises her with a set of ornamental combs that she cannot use until her hair grows back. Oh. The couple exchange their gifts with tears in their eyes, knowing the depth of love they have for another. He sold his watch mm -hmm. and she bought him a watch chain. Synchronicity. Yeah. So they, cool. you know, it, it's, it's a very beautiful story. Um, I wanted a, I wanted this scene set in a cozy apartment, the dorm with twinkling Christmas lights in the warm fireplace, the emotions of love and sacrifice. I wanted them emphasized through the colors. Um, mm -hmm. You see a lot of gold and a lot of red. You see the Christmas tree. Um, you could also see the expressions on their faces and the gentle touches of their hands, which, ladies and gentlemen, look at the hands. <laughs> the hands look great. When did um, you say that was written? Or was there a date on that? The This was written in... Uh, I don't... Give me one second. 1905. Yeah. Yep, Before the Great Depression and all that. So. Yep, 19, 1905. Uh, but yeah, you know, I also wanted to make sure that the final touch of the rents was the subtle presence of the biblical magi, symbolizing the value and significance of love that goes beyond material possessions. It's one of my favorite stories growing up. Um, I yeah. think it, it helped me kind of realize, you know, the importance of gift giving and what you would do for those around be you. reciprocal back yeah. to you too yeah yeah huh. cool a absolutely I've, I've heard of that story the, the name of that story for years and i've always like you know well it sounds cool what's it about but i never knew anyone that actually read it it's a beautiful now. story all right um so now we're getting into Are we at our last yeah. yep yep Right. So, we both did Isaac Asimov. Yes, we did. Cool. 
Um, if, you if, if you want, I could actually. I'll give. If you want, I'll give a rundown on him if you'd like. Yeah, do it. Um, born January second, nineteen twenty, in in Petrovici, Russia. Uh, he mm-hmm. died in nineteen ninety two in Manhattan, New York, at the age of wow. seventy two. No, was that er- that long? Or was a, yep. Just that short time ago. He was a writer, a professor of biochemistry. Um, was that he was in Columbia University? Was a fan, particularly wrote in science fiction, mystery, popular science. Um, yeah, um, but his literary—they say like the literary movement was the golden age of science fiction, um, retro futurism, you know that type of stuff. So this is actually very cool that that we both subconsciously decided to do isaac asimov um <laughs> I but didn't tell I, you I, I was doing it no and i didn't tell you i was doing it either so please you know um talk talk about robot dreams let's hear oh all right so in uh robot dreams uh I, isaac uh, it was pub- oh it was published in 1986 so this must have been one of his later ones uh, the story is set uh, in a future where robots have become commonplace. So, we're just a little behind on this as far as robot goes. Uh, <laughs> it focuses on the relationship between a human scientist named Susan Calvin and a robot named RB34, also known as Dave. What is it with Dave? Dave, Dave, Dave. Dave. Uh, Dave, yeah. Too commonplace. Uh, the story begins with Susan Calvin reminiscing about her past experiences with robots, including her interactions with Dave. I'm just going to state that every time. <laughs> she recalls how she Dave. and Dave <laughs> have developed a close relationship with Dave, even expressing a desire to dream like a, a human. Uh, as the story progresses, it is revealed that Dave has been dismantled years ago and his memory banks have been wiped. However, Susan discovers that Dave secretly recorded his dreams and she begins to review them the dreams reveal that dave have revealed a sense of selfless awareness and a desire for freedom which have led him to plot against uh his human creators however in his final dream dave really realizes that his actions would ultimately lead to the destruction of all robots and he sacrifices himself to prevent this outcome story ends with susan reflecting on dave sacrifice and the complexity of the relationship between humans and robots robot dream uh yeah robot dreams explores themes of artificial intelligence consciousness and the nature of humanity it raises questions about the ethics of creating intelligent machines and the potential consequences of technical progress i'm sorry i had a hard time reading that because i kept reading about the day part <laughs> just want to keep saying Dave. I, I've I've really tried to hold my composure. It's a very uh, it's a very right if you would have went with it. It's a very interesting story. Um mm-hmm. you know, I've never read this one before. It left out a pretty key factor too. Uh in this story, I believe he came up with it he's he's talked about the rule, the three rules of robots in a lot of his books. I think this is uh, one of them that he actually brought it up where humans cannot hurt a human being and they cannot do something which would in back down the road cause internal harm to a human. It's it's there's three rules out there. I'd have to look them up. Yeah. Maybe I'll look that up. Uh, I'm going to I just so I just looked it. up what robot dreams is. 
Mm -hmm. And there's a whole thing here. There's like a. I'll look at that three rules of robotics because I know it's pretty common. Okay, place. so it's a thing called Robot Visions, and Robot Visions has all the stories in it. Mm hmm. A uh, robot may not injure a human being or, through inaction, allow a human being to come to harm. A, robo a robot must obey orders given it by human beings except where such orders would conflict with the first law. A robot must protect its own existence as long as such protection does not conflict with the first or second law. So it's like go to first, you know, refer to the first law, second law, yeah. Very interesting. I mean, there's a whole thing here. Um, there's like a 21 short story series on this here. Mm -hmm. It's very interesting. Um, I'm gonna have. To I imagine it could be even uh, brought up today, and you know, and updated. Yeah, and it's very interesting too because, like, I'm looking at a lot of these things, and there's stuff here for Multivac, which is what I was okay. covering. Okay. Uh, um, you know, but Robot Dreams, I, the story of of a human falling in love with a robot, is very intriguing. You know, um, mm -hmm. it it's happening in today's times now. Yeah. It's what's yeah. but what's intriguing about it is the emotional value between a mechanic being and a human being. Like, how does the emotion intersect how does a how does a robot reciprocate that you know mm -hmm. my final it one, must give something that a human could not yeah and uh my final one that i have here the last question that I knew turned you, out awesome i knew you would like this one <laughs> i want to add a t-shirt put that in the merchandise i like that I really like that because this is your realm. This is your realm right here. Mm -hmm. um, so the last question is a science fiction story. And what I'm starting to understand this that he so he wrote this. This was published in 1956. But there's a whole thing here like multivax stories that are going on. Oh no, the last question is the final. Oh, no. True love is a story with multivax. Um. It's very interesting how Multivac seems to be a character that he uses a lot in his stories that I'm starting to realize. And I'm about to start reading these. Mm. Um, but the story is set in the distant future, spanning billions of years and explores themes of entropy. Uh, for those who are not familiar with entropy, it is a thermodynamic quantity representing the unavailability of systems thermal energy for converging into a mechanical work often interpreted as a degree of disorder or randomness in the system i got a little confused with that it was a way to like harness energy basically for uh, utilizing uh it, it pretty it's like a lack of order or predictability okay. yeah chaos like, theory yeah okay Right. Yeah, so the story begins with a reoccurring question asked by humans throughout history. How can the net amount of entropy of the universe be massively decreased? 
Despite centuries of technological advances, no answer has been found. And as time passes and the universe approaches its inevitable heat death, humanity constructs a giant supercomputer named Multivac to finally answer the question. Multivac is asked the question repeatedly over thousands of years, but is unable to find a satisfactory answer. However, as the universe nears its end, Multivac finally arrives at a solution. It tells the groups of humans that it has discovered a way to reverse entropy of the universe, effectively resetting it and starting the cycle anew. In the story's climax, Multivast is asked the last question before it is shut down as the universe reaches its end. But the final question is not about the nature of the universe or the fate of humanity, but simple. Is this the last question? Nice. The story ends with the implication that Multivac has transcended into physical form and become one with the universe and echoing the cycle of creation and destruction that has been going on since the beginning of time. Uh, what I wanted here, I wanted the depiction of the final moments of the universe right here. That is exactly what I wanted to portray from this story from the last question. But as the last remnants of humanity and their artificial intelligence companion race against time to solve the ultimate question of whether entropy can be reversed, the scene, um, it, it's going to be set in a dark, desolate space with the universe fading into nothingness in the background. In the center, um, should be the you know, multivac is depicted as a bright, glowing presence with the final answer to the question just for the reach. Uh, the scene should convey a sense of urgency and desperation as humanity's fate hangs in the balance. I'm gonna have to read that. That, that, it, it, this really blew my mind when I read this. I didn't know that he had ongoing characters too. Like, so Medivac is or multi multi multivac. That's a computer, basically. Yeah, yeah. So, okay. huh. uh, what I have here, I'm gonna look up who is multivac. Uh, I'm a- I'm very I, well. I I ask these questions because like my my go to sci fi author is Philip K. Dick. So yeah. I, I really should like kind of step out of that and like go check out one of his fellow brethren in the sci-fi world. Yeah. And Isaac uh, would be a good choice. And it's cool because like Multivac is a fictional supercomputer created by science fiction writer Isaac Asimov. It appears in stories including The Last Question. That's one of the stories. Um, mm-hmm. But it's a massive computer that is capable of performing a wide range of tasks from answering simple questions to predicting the future of the entire universe. Hmm. It it is a truly mind boggling story, um, very cunning. You know, it it definitely it's fun. It looks. I gotta look that up. Yeah, definitely. Look that up. I, I definitely, I definitely would like to see like a video rendition, a cinematic of this. Mm. I think it, I think it could be something very special. I think we're overdue for an Isaac Asimov uh, interpretation to a movie. I think the last one that was done was uh, iRobot. I want to say. Maybe, maybe not. I know for sure that that was definitely an Isaac Asimov-inspired movie. Um, Well, there was Whittingston, The Man Who Knew Infinity, The Time Machine, The Island of the Lost, and many... Many more. I'm looking at a whole Bicentennial Man, um, Nightfall, Robots. 
you know, uh, very, very powerful, very powerful stories that that we ran through today. I couldn't be I couldn't be more excited to actually dive into these stories because I don't do a lot of reading, but this definitely uh, expanded my mind and definitely woke me up a little bit. Um, short stories are in, and I'd love to do I'd love to do short stories again one day. Equally utilize some of the uh, mid journey art too. Like you were yeah. saying, put a little bit of illustration back in the short story too. That would be cool. Yeah. I always like the pictures in with my stories a little bit. You know, you don't have to be overrun with pictures, just one every now and then and give you a little sense of where the author was thinking. Well, maybe not the author. I guess that would be the illustrator from the printing service. Yeah. But yeah, guys. You know, paint a picture every now and then still. Yeah, but hey, you know, that was fun. That was that was thought provoking. Uh, yeah. This was very thought provoking. Yeah, Make sure. To, it, it tells me I need to read more. Yeah. Next week, we are doing VHS. We're kind of leaving it open-ended. Kind of just, you know, we're just keeping it. Wherever with the, it goes. Yeah, with the with the VHS era. I don't know what Strobridge is going to do. He doesn't know what I'm going to do, but I already have I a good I might talk feeling. to you a little more on this one throughout the week. Like, yeah. just kind of like, kind of get an idea. Because I really don't. I Just when we were coming up with ideas, I just threw out VHS. I know some people have done some interesting stuff with it. So yeah, and, resurgence. And this is going to be interesting. It's just going to be. I mean, we're leaving it open. I'm going to do some cool yeah. stuff. I'm going to be. I. I mean, again, it's going to be open ended. We're probably going to have some mashups and collaborations in this one or something like that. But I mean, it's time. It's time to tap into the retro. Make sure you guys check out our new merch. Uh, it will be updated frequently. Make sure you listen to the podcast. Make sure you watch the YouTube video. Make sure you give us some suggestions. Uh, we want to hear what you guys got. And any last words, Stro? Uh, I like it. I love it. I need some more of it. Give me that mid-journey and an uh, artificial mind. I love it. Have a good day, folks. We'll see you next week. VHS. Word.